From the Alfresco Recording Studios, high atop 107 Columbia, where it's a balmy 57 degrees, welcome to this week's edition of the Nipty Practice Tips. Today we're going to be discussing the removing of a sworn juror, the proper procedures. CPL section 27035 addresses two primary situations in which a sworn juror may be removed from the jury without the consent of the defense attorney. The first is where a sworn juror is unable to continue due to illness, incapacity, or for some other reason is unavailable. In determining this issue, the statute requires the court to make a reasonably thorough inquiry as to the juror's condition or situation which makes him or her unavailable. In Subdivision 2, the statute directs that if such juror fails to appear, or if the court determines that there is no reasonable likelihood such juror will be appearing in the court within the two hours of the time set by the court for the trial to resume, the court may presume such juror is unavailable for continued service and may discharge such juror. The court may also wait for the juror to return. The authority to remove the juror is not a mandate to do so. Take a look at the case of People v. Gianti, 94 New York 2nd 507 from the year 2000, where the court addressed three different cases and made it crystal clear that the two-hour rule is a bright-line rule. The court also has the authority to discharge a juror who repeatedly fails to appear in the court in a timely fashion. Secondly, the statute directs that if a juror is found to be grossly unqualified, the trial judge has the right to remove such juror. There is a key cornerstone case, People v. Buford, from 1987, and a follow-up case in the Court of Appeals, People v. Johnson, from 1998, with which you must be familiar. Whenever a juror is to be removed pursuant to this statute, it is imperative that the record is very clear as to all the efforts and the inquiries the court has made to meet the required standards found in the Buford decision. If the defense consents, of course, to the replacement of a juror, then he or she waives any appellate claim on the impropriety of the juror's removal. In addressing claims that a juror is grossly unqualified based on his or her conduct, the acquisition of inappropriate information, or a failure to reveal information during the voir dire that could have resulted in the exclusion of that juror from the jury, the court must follow the procedures outlined in the Buford decision. It is imperative that you assure the court follows these instructions. Failure to do so can result in reversible error that is not subject to harmless error analysis. The following quote from the Buford decision clearly lays out the procedures that must be followed and recorded on the record by the court in order to properly determine whether or not a juror is unqualified. In reaching its conclusion, the trial court must question each allegedly unqualified juror individually in camera in the presence of the attorneys and defendant. Counsel should be permitted to participate if they desire. In a probing and tactful inquiry, the court should evaluate the nature of what the juror has seen, heard, or has acquired knowledge of and assess its importance and its bearing on the case. In this context, the court should carefully consider the juror's answers and demeanor to ascertain whether his or her state of mind will affect his or her deliberations. The trial court's reasons for its ruling 
should be placed on the record. In concluding that a juror is grossly unqualified, the court may not speculate as to possible partiality of the juror based on her or his unequivocal responses. Instead, it must be convinced that the juror's knowledge will prevent him or her from rendering an impartial verdict. In a footnote, the court noted that an in-camera inquiry may not be necessary in the unusual case involving an obviously trivial matter where the court, the attorneys, and the defendant all agree that there is no possibility that the juror's impartiality could be affected and that there is no reason to question the juror. This just reinforces the basic premise that these procedures just outlined must be followed to the letter and the record of the court must clearly reflect that they have been done. If a juror is removed before deliberations have begun, then the first alternate takes the place of the removed juror. If the removed juror is the foreperson, then the court shall designate as the new foreperson the juror whose name was second drawn and called, and not the alternate juror who has just been seated on the jury. If the jury has begun to deliberate, there are very special procedures that must be followed to the letter in order for an alternate to properly take the removed juror's place. Be sure to review the practice tip that we have previously done specifically addressing these procedures. It's entitled, Replacing a Deliberating Juror. For the case law and statutory authority, please be sure to read the NIPTI practice tip, as well as the expanded memo entitled, Removal of Sworn Jurors, CPL, Section 270.35. As always, we want to thank our crack producer, Jonathan Marconi Crespino. For all of you, be well and stay ready. Thank Eric Clapton, please. Thank you.